Damascus Road on a two-wheel horse. It was a, it's a gorgeous day outside, isn't it? It was a beautiful ride in, I tell you. It's nice when there's no traffic and it's cool and you're not sweating from the heat off your pipes. How many of you work outside? I work outside. It was a long, wet week. It was tough. This, uh, the uh, title for this morning's sermon is Forgiveness. Forgiving others as God has forgiven you. Let me ask you something. Where is the body of Mao Zedong? In the grave. How about Alexander the Great? Attila the Hun? Confucius? Ronald Reagan? Hitler? Buddha? Gandhi? Muhammad? Billy Graham? Albert Einstein? Great orators, great thinkers, world leaders. All lie in a grave somewhere. They're all dead. I'm a very simple person. My testimony is very simple. I'm not, um, what do you call it, intellectual. Just I get lost in the details. So I like to keep, when I share my faith with people, I like to try and keep it simple. Several times over the years I've been asked why I am a believer or why I believe in Yeshua. If you make a promise to give me something, you'd best be able to do it for yourself first. Or I might not believe you. If you promise to show me how to become a millionaire, I think first, you probably ought to be a millionaire yourself. God, through Yeshua, promised to us a full life, a life filled with joy and peace. He promised us life from the dead. So now I need to ask you, where's the body of Yeshua? It's not in a grave somewhere? Why not? Because he raised himself from the dead. He conquered death, but before he did, he promised that he would do that for those who believe in him. He promised it, then he did it. I know that he can do it for me as well because he first did it for himself. Would you turn this down just a little bit? It's kind of bugging me. I worship God. I believe in Yeshua because he made me a promise and then he kept it. His is the only empty grave on the planet. He is the only one who promised life from death, did it for himself, rose from the dead. He has also promised to come back and rescue me from the corruption of this world into life everlasting with him. There is no other who has done or could do such a thing. There are no other promises like the one that he made. They say it ain't bragging if you can do it. He did it, and that's why I believe. Just as there's only one God, one Son, one way, truth, and life, there is only one book that is God's Word. He left for us His Word in this book. And in this book, He made many other promises that are ours for the receiving, not the taking, for the receiving, if we so choose. I've often said to those who ask about my faith, if you can show me a better way, I'll take it. That's not really a true statement because I know that there is no better way. My sources for this morning's sermon are the book Total Forgiveness by R.T. Kendall and the 11th commandment found in Matthew 6. You must forgive. No, there's no real 11th commandment. But I can see it that way when I read Matthew 6, 14 and 15. 
For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. The way I read that is, you must forgive. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this moment in time. We thank you because we know that you're right here. Lord, if you could just help me to get out of the way, if you can speak through me. There's someone here, maybe someone that's listening on the recording, that needs to hear what you have to say, not what I have to say. And I just pray that my words are your words. In the name of Yeshua. Amen. I want to clarify the you in Matthew 6, 14 and 15. This principle of forgiving is a spiritual principle. It is 100% true, and it applies to us whether or not we are believers. Spiritual truths are spiritually discerned regardless of whether or not you or anyone else believes in them. The you in Matthew 6 applies to everyone and has both positive and negative consequences. If you forgive, you will be forgiven. If you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. There's another spiritual principle pertaining to forgiveness that I see in Scripture that may sound a little controversial. I'm pretty sure that I see this correctly. You can talk to me later if you do not agree. The other principle that I see is this. When forgiveness is given, the innocent are punished and the guilty go free. The innocent are punished and the guilty go free. I see this modeled primarily in the death of Yeshua. He preached this principle, which was a promise like the one he gave regarding life from the dead. And then he did it. Some of his last words were, Father, forgive them. And I don't think he was just referring to the immediate group of people who had direct responsibility for his death. I think that statement was a much broader statement spanning all of time. I think he was looking at the sin of the entire world from beginning to end being placed upon him. And yet he chose to forgive. He chose to forgive. He didn't have to. He did nothing wrong. He was innocent. We are guilty. Our sin, the guilty, was placed upon him, the innocent. He died, and we were set free. Let me try to give you an example of that in real time. Let's say that you and I have a conflict. You're angry at me. You say something mean and untrue, some, some mean and untrue things to several people, to the point that you're not exactly sure to whom and what you've said. After time, you feel convicted for the gossip that you spread. You come to me, you apologize, and I forgive you. It's over, and you feel better. In forgiving you, I have set you free. But now my reputation among the people to whom you have gossiped suffers. There's no way to undo what has been done by that gossip. If I try to do so, I would just appear all the more guilty. I suffer the consequences of a tarnished reputation because of a lie that you told And since I forgave you, I will not touch it. I will not try to mend my reputation or fix things. I will never remind you or throw it in your face. When Yeshua met Peter on the beach after his resurrection, was there any mention of Peter's denial? Hey, yo, Pete, the other day, I was in a bad spot. I really could have used a friend. Instead, you denied that you even knew me. No, there was no mention of it. He said, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter was set free. The innocent are punished, and the guilty go free. 
The fifth commandment reads like this. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. One translation reads that it may go well with you. Notice there's no age group, so don't elbow your teenage kids. Okay? Because if you're 35 or 40 or 50 and you're a child, honor your father and your mother, even after they're dead, I would say. It is the first commandment with a promise. It can be inferred that you, if you do not honor your parents, it will not go well with you. Can you see the similars between similarities between this command and Matthew 6? Matthew 6, if not a command, is definitely a strongly worded piece of advice. You fellows know that when your wife tells you, well, honey, I'm not sure, but I really like the green one, then you get the green one. Am I right? If you're listening to her, and you should be, she's not making a suggestion. When Yeshua says, forgive, or you will not be forgiven, he is not making a suggestion. In an issue of London's Daily Express dated June 2000, the writer, Susan Poppy, titled an article, Can You Learn to Forgive? It began with the following statement, Bearing a grudge can hold you back and even damage your health. She was interviewing Dr. Ken Hart, a lecturer at Leeds University, who had been running the world's first forgiveness course, a seminar designed to help people forgive those who had hurt them. Participants ranged from jilted spouses to burglary and bullying victims. All of them had a few things in common. They had not forgiven those who had wronged them. They were hurt. They were angry and bitter, and they wanted revenge. This was not a Christian or a faith-based study, but they were participating in a biblical principle whether they realized it or not. They were learning the principles of a lifestyle of forgiveness and the consequences of holding a grudge. Remember what I said earlier about forgiveness being a spiritual truth, and it applies whether you are a believer or not. The study further found that the person who gains the most from forgiveness is the person who does the forgiving. Notice the things they had in common. They had not forgiven. They were hurt. They were angry. They were bitter. It is my belief that having an unforgiving spirit and bitterness go hand in hand. I consider bitterness and resentment to be nearly the same thing. They both come from hurt or anger that is held on to. The one leads to the other. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew 18, verses 20 to 23, I believe. I can't read my own writing. Verses 23 to 35. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, he was, one was brought to him that owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me. And I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion. He released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down at his knees, at his feet, and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, 
but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called them, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Notice verse 28. He seized him by the throat. He was angry. He would not forgive the debt. And the end result was that he himself was the one who was put into prison. In the early 1900s, when I lived in my grandparents' basement, I was raising fowl. That's F-O-W-L. I'm not talking about my children. Now, right over your head. I had several breeds of chickens, wild turkeys, ringneck pheasants, and some exotic Japanese game birds. I wanted to put up some protection from the sun around their cages, so I dug up a few bulbs of bamboo from my sister's house, and I planted them in three or four spots around the cages. How many of you have ever planted bamboo or had it growing on your property? You know the end of this story, don't you? (laughs) Bamboo is a root-based system, not a seed-based. You don't plant a bamboo seed and get a bamboo tree. Once you plant some, it begins to spread beneath the ground where you can't see it spreading. After it spreads out its root system, then you begin to see shoots popping up here and there. In a couple of years... I had a few bamboo shoots sprouting up here and there in close proximity to where I'd planted the original bulbs. In a couple more years, I had a few more shoots a bit further out. And then after about six or seven years, boom, that stuff began to come up like hair from the ground. And now, not just close to the bulbs, but in the entire area. I'm friends with Chris, the guy who bought the house. And I visited him several times over the years. He calls me when he asks construction questions. The last time I was over, he was trying to get rid of that bamboo, which now, 20 years later, he said to me, know how to get rid of bamboo? I said, you have to dig it up, and you have to get all of the roots, or it just keeps coming back. He said, sure wish whoever planted this stuff hadn't done me any favors. I did not tell him it was me. (laughs) When you have an unforgiving spirit, the consequences work just like that bamboo. It grows, it spreads where you can't see it. It pops up here and there, and one day it takes over, and it's very difficult to get rid of. There's another long-term consequence of not forgiving. You build walls around yourself, and you put yourself into a prison of your own making. Let's say that I have a problem with someone over here. I do not resolve the situation. I do not forgive. If that becomes the lifestyle that I practice, it won't be long before I have a problem over here, and so on. I will end up surrounding myself with walls of unforgiveness, a house, so to speak. And what house is complete without a roof? The lifestyle that I lead not only isolates me from others, it separates me from God. Remember Matthew 6.15. You understand the principles of sowing and reaping, yes? You reap what you sow. You reap later than you sow. You reap more than you sow. 
this very much applies to unforgiveness. Sometimes a pastor will choose a topic for a sermon based upon problems with which he is dealing within the congregation. For me, this is a subject that I personally wrestled with. And through God's help, I've seen great victories over. Also, it's an ongoing problem within my own family. And I have watched what having an unforgiving spirit can do to a family. I've seen the hurt and the anger and the wedges being driven deeper and deeper between siblings. I've watched the walls of the prison of unforgiveness being built, and I see the end result of years of hurt, anger, bitterness, and resentment. Unforgiveness hurts and alienates those around you, but worst of all, it puts those who will not forgive in a prison, and it blocks their relationship with God. It does not hinder their relationship with God. It blocks their relationship with God. It's not a salvation issue that I'm talking about. I'm not suggesting that you lose your salvation over it. It is an intimacy issue. It blocks intimacy and maturity in your relationship with God. Matthew 6.15, if you do not forgive each other, neither will your Father forgive you. If you will not forgive, you create for yourself a prison and you cultivate within yourself a hard heart. 2 Chronicles 7.14, you all know this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, powerful then, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. Humble themselves, pray, seek my face and repent. God cannot revive an arrogant heart. Humble yourself. God cannot revive a prayerless heart and pray. God cannot revive a self-seeking heart and seek my face. God cannot revive an unrepentant heart and repent. In order to receive the gifts of freedom, peace, and joy in the spirit, we must break up the fallow ground of our own heart. We must forgive. We must humble ourselves. We must pray. We must seek after God's face. We must repent. It is an amazing the power that God has given to us. God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them has given you the power to put your hand out and say, stop right there. That far and no further. And that's exactly where he stops. He will call you. He will invite you. He will beckon you. He will plead with you. But he will not force you. That's the power of love. I don't fully understand it. I just know where I read it. I know it's true. That's the power that God gave you. A long time after, uh, excuse me, a long time and dear friend of mine, Anne, was abused by her parents when she was a young girl. She never got over the hurt. Back in that day, there was nothing in the church to help her deal with this. There was no Celebrate Recovery. There were no books on the subject. In fact, it was pretty much taboo to speak of it. So for years, she suffered alone. Nobody knew about it. Her hurt led to anger, and she became bitter. It's not that she had no joy or happiness in her life, but her life was dominated by her bitterness. It stunted her spiritual growth as well. When a certain time came due to some conflicts in her relationship with her husband, in a counseling session with the pastor, she told the pastor and her husband what had happened to her. 
The pastor encouraged her to forgive her parents. Her husband tried to help her. A couple of her closest friends tried to help her. But none of them really knew what to do. It was just so new. None of them could break through the walls around her heart. She had spent so many years living with this hurt that she was unable to let go and to forgive. I watched one time when someone came to her and apologized for a wrong that they had done. She said, I do not forgive you. And she walked away. Just like the bamboo, the roots of her pain and anger had spread to many other areas of her life. And I could see the walls of an unforgiving spirit and the negative effects in her life. There's a saying that goes like this. Holding on to resentment is like taking poison and expecting the other person to die. Resentment eats you alive in a spiritual and emotional way, but also in a physical way. Dr. Ken from Bowie, Maryland, in commenting on the book Total Forgiveness, states that as a medical doctor, one of the most important problems that I encounter among my patients is that of bitterness, resentment, and unforgiveness. It is a major reason why people don't heal. In these situations, forgiveness is the key to not only freedom, but also, it seems, to healthier living. Therapist Michelle Nelson, in recognizing the difficulties of forgiving, especially when trust is broken due to severe hurts, has categorized forgiveness in three ways. Detached forgiveness. There is a reduction in negative feelings toward the offender, but no reconciliation takes place. Limited forgiveness. There is a reduction in negative feelings toward the offender, and the relationship is partially restored, though there is a decrease in the emotional intensity of the relationship. And full forgiveness. There is a total cessation of negative feelings toward the offender, and the relationship is fully restored. An example of detached forgiveness. Let's say that you're a hard worker, one of the few at the office. As a result, you end up getting more work than others. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? I'm sure. Even some of the less desirable jobs. You speak to your boss who ignores you and allows things to continue because you're making his job easier, and your coworkers don't seem to mind that you're doing their work as well. After time of being taken advantage of, you quit and you take a new job. In your heart, you forgive. But you want nothing more to do with that company or those people. You don't hate them. You just don't want anything to do with them ever again. Detached forgiveness. Limited forgiveness. Your best friend and your new boyfriend or girlfriend seem to be getting along with each other a little bit better than with you. One day they both sit down with you and tell you that they have developed feelings for each other and they don't want to sneak around behind your back or have you hear something through the grapevine. So they're being open and honest with you about things. You respect that. And you're glad that they chose to be honest. You understand breaking up and you forgive the hurt that you've endured. Although the three of you remain friends, things between you and your best friend are never quite as close or as intimate as they once were. Limited forgiveness. Full forgiveness. I want the rest of the sermon to focus on full forgiveness because I think... That's where a lot of us struggle the most. It's where I struggled. And because the consequences for not living this kind of life are the most severe. When God does his thing, he does not need your fingerprints all over it to get it done. I'll say that again. When God does his thing, he does not need your fingerprints all over it to get it done. People can be very helpful when they want God to do something in their lives. You don't need to move the chess pieces around the table in order for God to be able to work things out. 
what you need to do is to take your hands completely off of things and watch and see what God can do, what only God can do. His name is Max. We met in college. He's just a normal kind of a guy, but Max did something that I did not like. I thought he was being a bit hypocritical, and I decided to stick my nose in his business thinking that he needed to learn a lesson, and I was just the guy to teach him. That first move set off a sequence of moves back and forth until I decided to end it all by letting him know what I was going to do to him the next time that I saw him. He made sure that we never saw each other again. I kind of felt like I had the upper hand in that, so I felt that he was running away from me out of fear. Max went home to North or South Dakota, I don't remember which, and I came back east. Figured I'd never see him again, and things were left completely unresolved. A few years passed. One evening when I was alone in my devotions with the Lord, and what should God bring to my mind but Max? I couldn't figure out why God would remind me of such a thing, being that the two of us lived so far apart and there was really nothing that could be done. I wasn't about to drive out to the west to find Max in order to ease my conscience. I felt the Lord ask of me, Dana, will you seek from and offer to Max forgiveness? I committed to God that if he would open the door, I would walk through it. I didn't know how he would. But in my heart, I made the commitment, Lord, you open the door, I'll walk through it. I had peace about it, and I put it away. A few years passed, and I was now a youth pastor at a local church. Several of the youth in my group wanted to go to IYC, that's International Youth Conference, a large gathering of free Methodist youth from around the country. It was being held in Colorado State University, right there on the campus. It was the third night of the conference, about 7 o'clock. The evening services were starting at about 7.30, I wanted to get a good seat, so I rounded up the gang and headed for the basketball arena. They wanted to continue playing frisbee with some of their new friends, and I allowed them to do so. But I told them, at 7.30, you come find me, and you be in your seat. Then I went inside, and I found a central place. It's a huge basketball arena. I think it seats like 15,000 people. There was about 4,000 kids there, so the whole section on one side was taken up by these youth. I found an area up the stairs a ways. And it was entirely empty except for one person. I can tell you know where this is going, huh? I walked up the stairs of that arena, and as I got close enough to make out his face, who should I see but Max? I said, Max. He said, Dana. At the same time, and at the same time, we both said, man, I need to talk to you. You see, it was just a few, few years earlier that God had been speaking to Max about his part in our conflict. And he came to the same conclusions in the same place that I came to. He resolved to allow God to work it out and committed to follow God's leading just like I did. He didn't see an end. He didn't know how it was going to work out. Dear ones, I couldn't have worked it out if I tried. It's just not possible. I made a commitment. Open the door, Lord. I will walk through. And the door opened. Max and I shared openly and honestly for about 15 or 20 minutes. We forgave each other. And I left feeling like Max had become a dear brother in the Lord. Turns out he was a pastor out in the church in North Dakota. Just a little plus there. Our hearts were set free. It was a full forgiveness. We had a divine appointment. God arranged it. My fingerprints were not on that. 
but God arranged it because both of us in our hearts allowed God to do so. I couldn't understand why God had brought this to my mind those few years earlier, except that he wanted to see if my heart was in the right place. I didn't need to move the pieces. God can do that just fine all by himself. When God works things out, he does it in supernatural, superhuman ways. He does it completely. He isn't limited by geography. He isn't limited by time. He isn't even limited by death. My friend Ann and her, fa- her father and her mother passed away before she was able to forgive them. Ann passed away many years later without ever experiencing total forgiveness and the peace and the joy that comes with it. I know that she's in heaven. Her salvation was sure, but her life was not lived to the full because she was trapped in the prison of her unforgiveness. In Matthew 18, the servant who was forgiven his debt, which he could never repay, did not have forgiveness in his heart. He refused to give the pittance. The pittance owed to him by another and ended up in jail until he could repay his own debt, which he could never repay. So he wasn't getting out of jail anytime soon. It's like this. You find my wallet laying around. You take $100 out and leave it where you found it. Now, I don't have $100 to spare. It's pretty much all spoken for. But someone saw you do it. And I confront you. You don't apologize. You won't take responsibility. Remember the title for the sermon. Forgive as God forgave you. Not as someone else forgave you. As God forgave you. So you've done this thing to me. On the one hand, it hurts. It's a burden. If I'm focusing on the circumstances and not on God, where I should be focusing, this burden, small as it is, is going to weigh me down. If I put my focus on the other hand, all of the things that I have done wrong, all of my sin over my entire life, and God wiped it all out, and he forgave me, is it really so hard for me to forgive you? Is it really? Did the one servant really have such a difficult time forgiving the small debt that he was owed in light of the immense and unpayable debt that he was forgiven? Really? When Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water, at what point did he begin to sink when he focused on the circumstances around him? He took his eyes off of Messiah and he went down. The same thing happens to us when our focus is upon others and what they have done to us. We sink down into the mire of our circumstances because our focus is in the wrong place. The only thing that keeps us above the circumstances is keeping our focus upon God and what he has done for us. We can't change anybody else. We can't fix anybody else. We have a hard enough time trying to fix what's wrong with us. That's why our focus is not on others. We may think we look good by comparison to Sally or to Jim, But how good do we look when we gaze upon the cross and Messiah hanging there because of the vast debt that he paid on our behalf? If we hold on to our debts, we will be sowing the seeds of a lifestyle in which we will be holding on to the very locks of the bars that imprison our own hearts. 
I'm inclined to give a wide berth of latitude to children who have been abused. Growing up with that kind of trauma is something that I can never imagine. That's a special circumstance, and I don't want to sound crass by saying some of what I just said. But, beloved, these principles, these biblical principles, they are true regardless of the special circumstances in which we may find ourselves. God is still God, and he can do exceedingly, abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. Remember, you have to let him. If it doesn't happen with you, it's not because he can't. It's because maybe you couldn't, or maybe you wouldn't, but God can. This week I uh, just watched I Can Only Imagine. I don't know why I waited so long, but I wanted to see the movie and we watched it as a family this week. I highly recommend this movie. It's a powerful story about how forgiveness can break down the walls of the prison of unforgiveness in which we place ourselves and restore not only the broken relationships in our lives, but also restore us to our Heavenly Father. It is a story about grace and mercy and a peace that passes human understanding. How I wish Anne could have seen this movie. I really believe that it would have been instrumental in helping to free her heart. You see, Anne was not only my friend, she was my mother. Anne was her middle name. To watch your loved one struggle and carry such burdens over their lifetimes is heart-wrenching. To watch them pass from this life, (laughs) never having been able to break the chains of the prisons of their childhood demons, to never be able to to be totally free and experience the peace and the joy that Yeshua promised. To see all of this and not to be able to do anything, that is a burden I wish none of you to bear. Remember what I said earlier about why I believe and follow Yeshua. Because he said it and then he did it. He told us to forgive others as God has has forgiven us. And then he showed us how to do it. He endured the lashes and the beatings. He was spat upon. He was mocked. He was the son of God. He stretched out his hands. He received the nails. His last words were, Father, forgive them. He sent the Holy Spirit to empower us because we can't do it ourselves. It's not possible. He sent the Holy Spirit to enable us to do what he called us to do. Where he calls you, he enables you. We don't serve a God who simply lays down some rules for us to follow. In all the other religions in the entire world, you have to pursue and find God. We follow a God who pursues and finds us. It is the only religion, Judeo-Christian, the only religion. We follow a God who sent his son, his only son, to reach us, to teach us, to lead us, and to show us the way. And he rewards our faith and our obedience with gifts that we cannot comprehend, that only he can give. At the end of my last sermon, I asked you, what do you have in your hand And what are you going to do with it? This morning I want to ask you, what burden do you carry in your heart? In what prison do you find yourself? Or maybe it's someone that you know and love. Is it too much to let go of? 
Or is it too much to endure? Do you want to find the peace that he promised for you? If you do, then there's no better place than right here. And there's no better time than right now. God loves you so much. And he's just waiting to set you free. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure. The saints and angels Awesome message, Dana. Thank you. Hallelujah. Before we uh, leave here, I just have a sense even from the message that if there's anybody here that does not know the Messiah personally, if there's anybody at all, please don't walk out of here. Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow may never come. So please don't walk out of here without coming up here and one of us will pray with you and help you come to an understanding of the Lord. Um, before we go also, we have transitioned into a new way of singing. What I'm about to sing is the old way we did it. So it's the ironic benediction. <coughs> Thank you, Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Ye 
יברך אחרני וישמרך. ירנאי פניו לך וכונך. יישא אדוני פניו לך וישם לך שלום. אמן. Our own egg Shabbat. Some real interesting stuff down there today. So please, any visitors, come down, enjoy it. Baruch atarani, Eloheinu melech halom, Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Blessed you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who gives us bread from the earth. Amen. And for our drink. Baruch atadonai Eloheinu melech halom pri hagafen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Have a wonderful Shabbat and a great week.